This gospel message is brought to you by the Reformed Witness Hour, a ministry of the Protestant Reformed Churches in America, a Reformed denomination that strives to be faithful to the Word of God and the historic confessions of the Reformed faith, also known as Calvinism. In love for our great God, we proclaim the Christian faith and life that is founded on God's sovereign particular grace. As God's Word is expounded, we pray that these messages are a blessing to you. Dear radio listeners, in the next several weeks we will go to school to learn about the Ten Commandments. Our teacher is Jesus Christ, by which I mean that we will learn about the Ten Commandments as he taught us in the Gospel accounts. Having kept the commandments perfectly, As our example and Savior, Jesus not only teaches us how to keep them, but also gives us the power to keep them. Last week we had a broad overview of the law as a whole. We saw that the Ten Commandments are still relevant to our life today. They teach important lessons about God and our life with God and our neighbors. But even more, they are relevant in the letter, that is, Their prohibitions and commands still apply today. Ultimately, they are relevant because they point sinners to our need for Jesus Christ and his perfect righteousness and remind us to seek in him the power to begin to keep the law. Today we will examine the first commandment. The introduction to the law reads in Exodus 20 verse 2, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. And the first commandment reads, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Exodus 20, verse 3. We examine this commandment from the viewpoint of the instruction that Jesus gave the rich young ruler, as recorded in Matthew 19, verses 16 through 21. And behold, one came and said unto him, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And he said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. He saith unto him, Which? Jesus said, Thou shalt do no murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness. Honor thy father and thy mother, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. The young man saith unto him, All these things have I kept from my youth up. What lack I yet? Jesus said unto him, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. Consider then the first commandment, as it reveals God to be the only good and commands us to worship the only good God. All of God's commandments teach us basic truths about Jehovah. This commandment also makes us examine what kind of God we have and teaches us about him. The first point to notice is that he is the all-powerful and loving God. The introduction to the law reminds us that he showed his power and love by bringing Israel out of Egypt. 
Remember that the Egyptians had held the Israelites in bondage. They forced the Israelites to be their slaves, to make bricks and build cities. This was also a spiritual bondage, for the Egyptians would not let the Israelites worship Jehovah, the God of their fathers Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jehovah brought Israel out of Egypt by raising up Moses, preparing him to lead Israel out of Egypt, sending him and Aaron to Pharaoh to require Pharaoh to let Israel go, bringing the ten plagues on Egypt when Pharaoh did not let Israel go, and finally directing the affairs of history so that Pharaoh sent them away quickly and in his anger. But when Pharaoh came to his earthly senses and realized that he had dismissed his slaves from serving him, he chased them again to bring them back. By then they were encamped on the banks of the Red Sea. So God used a mighty wind to part the waters of the Red Sea, and the two million or so Israelites, with all their cattle, passed over the Red Sea on dry ground. When Pharaoh and his army pursued, God brought the waters over the Egyptian army and destroyed them. Israel was free, free from slavery to the Egyptians, but also free to serve Jehovah. That, I say, demonstrated Jehovah's great power. None other could part the waves of the Red Sea and create a dry path where the waters had recently been. It also showed Jehovah's love for Israel. She was his special people, as he had promised Abraham. He kept his promise. He delivered Israel so that she could have covenant fellowship with him and know his love. So we are taught that Jehovah is the all-powerful and loving God. He is that to us in Jesus Christ. For we too were in spiritual slavery to sin and Satan, and by the blood of Christ, God bought us back to be his people and delivered us from sin. He works in us the new life of Jesus Christ so that we can know his love and reciprocate that love. All that he did for us in Christ shows his power and love. The second lesson that we are taught here about Jehovah is that he is the only God. This really explains the prohibition of the first commandment, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Israel was used to having other gods. She had learned how to worship idol gods in Egypt. By delivering her out of Egypt, Israel taught Israel that only he was the true God. When he says that we must not have any other gods before him, Jehovah is not permitting us to have other gods as long as they rank second or third or fourth behind him. The word before regards not the rank of our gods, but refers to Jehovah's sight. He may not see in us a regard for any god beside him. Because he sees everything, he is all-knowing and all-seeing, he will see if we have other gods than he. And yet these other gods are only the invention of the minds of men. Let us heed his command to put them aside by his power and grace. We've already referred to a third lesson that this teaches about Jehovah he is an all-knowing and all-seeing God. 
In this way, too, he shows himself to be the greatest and only God. For Jehovah's all-knowingness and all-seeingness is a reason why many of God's people, led through times of trial, are comforted. He knows what we suffer. He cares for us and our suffering. At the same time, when we sin, the all-knowingness of Jehovah is a sobering warning. Even when we ignore or excuse or deny sin, he is aware of it and will visit it in justice. The fourth lesson that Jesus especially drives home in his words to the rich young ruler is that God is good, only and always good. The rich young ruler came to Jesus and addressed him as the good teacher. He knew that Jesus was a teacher, just like we are saying. He teaches us the law. The man asked Jesus what he must do to inherit eternal life. And part of Jesus' answer to him was, Only God is good. Why callest thou me good? He said to the rich young ruler. There is none good but one, that is God. God is the only good and the true good. This means that there is no bad in God, no imperfections, no flaws in his design or being or conduct. His Godhead is good. All of the attributes and perfections of his Godhead are good. He is true love, true mercy, perfect grace, perfect righteousness, full compassion, right wisdom, true knowledge true power. Because he is good, all his works are good and point to him as the only true God. Now, the rich young ruler was correct, of course, to call Jesus good. When Jesus said that only God was good, Jesus did not mean to say that he, Jesus, was not good. Rather, he was saying, if you are calling me good, And if God is the only good, then you are acknowledging that I am God. You called me good master or good teacher. But do you realize that the reason why I am good teacher is that I am God? Are you consciously saying that? For in fact, Jesus is God in the flesh. The first commandment is understood in light of the New Testament, then, requires us to confess that Jesus is all that we have already said God is. Jesus, then, is the only human being who is God in our flesh, just as God is the only God. That Jehovah is the all-powerful and loving and all-knowing and truly good God is also true of Jesus Christ. For Jesus Christ radiates all the virtues of God himself. And if Jehovah then is the only God, Jesus Christ is the only revelation of that God, the only teacher, the only Savior. When we understand these truths about God and Jesus, we fall down on our feet and worship him. This worship of Jehovah alone is, is the obeying of the first commandment. 
We worship Him as He makes Himself known in Jesus Christ. We see that the perfect obedience of Jesus Christ while He was on earth and His willingness to bear God's wrath for sin, His victory in being raised the third day, all were necessary with a view to delivering us from slavery to sin and death. And we're thankful, we're amazed, and we love this God. Having learned what kind of God we have, we must next examine how to live in the service of this God. Loving God and living in His service, we must avoid idolatry and flee from it in all forms. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. When the child of God hears that commandment, though, he doesn't go to God and say, good thing I never did. He doesn't go to God and say, I've always trusted in you alone. But he finds himself on his knees confessing, but I do have other gods. I have worshipped other gods. I need this commandment because it reminds me to turn from them and put them aside. Radio listeners, what other gods do you have? From what idols must you turn? The society in which we live exalts humanity instead of Jehovah. The number one goal of society is a good quality of life. To that end, we need money and lots of it. We need medical care and the best of it. We need technology and the latest of it. I'm not suggesting we don't need money or medical care at all, but the idea that we need it and lots of it is an idol in the form of ideas and motives. The Bible teaches that true happiness is not found in earthly things or in experiences, but in serving the only true God. Sometimes other humans are our God. We so admire an actress, a politician, a teacher, a pretty girl, a handsome boy, that we follow their every move and would do anything to get their attention. Or we so crave approval from other humans that we would do anything to get it. This is a form of idolatry. Sometimes ideas are our God. The true God reveals himself in the Bible, and the Bible contains statements which express ideas, divine revelation, God's ideas. But we are quick to seek out other ideas, non-biblical ideas, and think that in them true happiness is found. The greatest idol, the one each one of us is ready to serve, is the idol of self. I once knew a man who said that he was his own God. He didn't need another God. He openly expressed a thought that arises in our own hearts. So when things don't go our way, we get angry. We try to manipulate people. We fill our bellies. We are interested in getting ourselves taken care of first. We think that we are to be served. But to love God as the only good and serve and worship him as the only God requires us to hate, avoid, and flee from all such idolatry. And to find in Jehovah alone 
true happiness. This really was the word of Jesus to that rich young ruler. When Jesus told the rich young ruler that if he wanted eternal life, he should keep the commandments, Jesus was not suggesting that this man could earn eternal life by his own works. Rather, Jesus was telling him how to enjoy the eternal life that Jesus earned and that Christ provided. Do you remember how Jesus' words to him ended? Not just with, keep the law, but with, follow me. Even Jesus himself did that while on earth. He renounced all human institutions and ideas and people as the way to happiness. He wouldn't even seek his own pleasure if that meant disobeying God. Think of the temptations he endured in the wilderness. Because he obeyed God and sought him first, he laid down his life and so showed that he is our example, our Savior, and in him is the power to obey. But it's one thing to renounce idols. That's a part of the keeping of this first commandment. The danger is that we renounce one idol only to turn to another. This commandment requires us to flee every idol and run to Jehovah. How do we do that? First, by studying his word, the Bible. If we are going to avoid idolatry, we must know Jehovah rightly. And we will not know him rightly by asking some philosopher what we think of God or coming to our own conclusions about who and what kind of God he is. We will know him rightly only when we turn to his word and receive it as his revelation of himself. Second, we must trust in him alone. We need his wisdom and his guidance. To trust in him alone does not mean that under no circumstances do we turn to other humans for help. When sick, we may call the doctor. When we have some other trouble in life, we may call other humans. Yet, we do these things with the prayer that God will help us, and because he often uses other humans as a means to that end, we turn to those humans as tools of God. If, though he chooses not to give us healing, or if our troubles do not improve, we still trust that God is wise, and that he's leading us through the Red Seas and Sinai wildernesses of this life as he prepares us for heaven. Third, to worship Jehovah alone is to submit to his will humbly and patiently. Though the way he leads might be difficult, We must do so without murmuring or complaining. Fourth, we must expect him to give us only that which is good. That's not the same as saying that he will make us rich or give us health. That if we're poor or sick, he has failed. Even sickness and even poverty is his good will for us, and through it he teaches us to love him the more. And fifth, the running to Jehovah to worship him alone involves serving and loving him with our whole heart. 
This really is the first commandment. To love God and to love God above all is not just, first of all, to perform some outward actions. It is to have love for him in our heart. This is also a reason why this commandment is first. The rest of the law, the following nine commandments, really show us how to love Jehovah above all else. Love him by obeying. In this regard, Jesus set the example for us. He did so first by renouncing the temptations of the devil as recorded in Matthew 4 and other places. The devil suggested that Jesus, who was hungry, turn stones into bread. That Jesus could obtain immediate earthly fame and reign over earthly kingdoms if he would simply bow down to the devil. That Jesus could jump off a high point of the temple and see if Jehovah really loved him enough to save him. And all of these were opportunities for Jesus to serve himself rather than God. Jesus understood the temptation, and he responded to the devil by saying that he would obey God's law and do God's will, and in that find true happiness. He set the example. Every good teacher lives by that which he teaches. In Jesus Christ, we also find the power to do what this law requires of us. We are not able to flee idolatry in our own strength. Our sinful nature loves sin too much. But we turn to God in Christ and seek from the Holy Spirit the power to obey. There's a third thing we need from Jesus, though, and that is the grace of forgiveness. For inasmuch as God knows we have sinned, we too must come to see we have sinned. And in prayer we say to God, not, I'll try harder, not, it's all in the past now is my idolatry, from now on I'll do it right, but in prayer we say, forgive. And then we hear from him the word of forgiveness, our sins are blotted out in the blood of Christ. Only then will we enjoy the truest happiness that humans can enjoy on earth. The truest happiness is not that of having treasure on earth, but of knowing that we have treasure in heaven, that one day we will behold the face of God and enjoy his blessed friendship forever. And on earth, we have a small beginning of that enjoyment. This was the word of Jesus to the rich young ruler. He was to renounce his riches in which he found happiness, to sell them and give to the poor, and he would have treasure in heaven. Radio listeners, may you have that treasure and find the truest joy in loving and serving God as the only true God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, who dost know our thoughts and our heart, we do sin. We do turn at times to other gods. We do trust in and find happiness in things other than Thee. At least we attempt to, but the attempt is futile. We see the folly of our sin. Forgive it. 
And now empower us to worship and serve Thee alone, for Jesus' sake. Amen. The gospel message you have just heard was sponsored by the Protestant Reformed Churches through its radio program, The Reformed Witness Hour. We hope that you have been edified and encouraged by this message. If you would like more information about the Reformed faith or the Protestant Reformed Churches, feel free to visit our website at reformedwitnesshour.org or email us at mail at reformedwitnesshour.org.